0: Look at these three words written larger than the rest, with a special pride never written before, or since tall words proudly say, we the people.
1: Welcome to the Lex Rex Institute podcast. I'm your host, David Truschel.
0: I'm your co-host, Alexander Haberbush, and we've got a third person with us here again today. Alex, you want to introduce yourself?
2: Uh, hi, my name is Alex Bostick. I'm a legal assistant at the Lex Rex Institute.
1: Yeah, you guys may remember Alex from a few episodes ago when we were talking about Rome, and that's what we're doing here again mm-hmm. today. So uh, as our resident Roman history buff, he has rejoined us for this conversation.
0: So I listened to last week's episode. David, uh, good job on that, by the way. Sorry I wasn't there to help you out.
1: Well, uh, you know, I-, I won't particularly vouch for the quality, um, being just me talking about the pilgrims for about 12 minutes. But
0: uh... well, religious liberty is a very important subject. i would actually really been looking forward to doing that episode. But a few really big things came up. Uh, next year, as part of our program, we are going to do a full hour-long episode about the Pilgrims and religious liberty. But there's listen to David's. He does a great job. It's really hard to do stuff by yourself. I used to do that on our Ask an Attorney segments. I don't envy that at all. Thank you so much for doing that, David.
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm not going to be volunteering to do that again uh, anytime soon if we can avoid it. So
0: <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> all right. And before we begin, just remember that we have extended our matching grant program. Our donor, who has agreed to match all donations to LexRex, has extended that through the end of the year so you're not too late. Now is the time to donate to LexRex if you've not done so in the past. That is one of the very best ways that you can join the fight to support and defend our Constitution. Really, every penny that you give us goes directly to the defense of liberty, to our clients' cases, and defending the Constitution.
2: All right, so do we want to jump straight in? (laughs) I think we do. Yeah. Yeah, great, cool.
1: (laughs) The good old Roman music.
2: Yeah. That's right, yeah. Mm -hmm. There we go.
0: Rome, Eternal City. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
1: I don't know. What else do you say about Rome? Well, uh,
0: Seven Hills... And on those have seven hills were seven gables, and on those seven gables were seven brothers, and each of the seven brothers, seven wives. And you know, how many, how many people were walking to St. Ives?
2: I've never heard
1: that before.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's from, I think, Die Hard Three, the one with that's why my I heard it. it. Okay, well,
1: yep. I have not seen that movie, but um, I want to <laughs> no. point out to so it's we've I kind of
0: I you know, I obviously changed it, but mm-hmm. that's
1: we've been yeah. we've been calling this series The Fall of Rome. And I Mm -hmm. want to point out, it is still technically fall. It will still technically be fall when this episode is released. Oh, it's a pun. Winter's about two and a half weeks away, so... Are
0: you done with us, Alex? You're going to leave in in (laughs) range and do whatever fun on
2: this? Incredibly disappointed.
1: (laughs) I've pointed out that it's a pun several times, and I've also pointed out that, despite the fact that I hate puns as well, I came up with it, so uh, really, um, you can blame me, and I blame myself but okay, <laughs> it's catchy. You know, it's, I think it works. <laughs> Today, though, yeah. we're going to be talking about sort of the very... Well, what,
0: what did we cover last time first? So what do we yeah. know about Rome so far? If you've watched our previous episodes or listened to them, since you can't watch them, although I think we're going to be uploading video from now on. Is that right, David?
1: Uh, at some point, at least. And we'll, we can get into that a bit later after we let Alex go. There are going to be a, a few changes to the format. But at some point...
0: Yep, yeah, so stay tuned. <laughs> at some we're point. We're going to let you guys know what season two will be like we'll be introducing that a little bit later so stay tuned but yeah if you listen to past episodes what you've learned about rome so far is
1: (laughs) well the first one we did of these we covered their voting system and how it's uh, a little convoluted and (laughs) how some problems (laughs) with voting is are perennial
0: ladies of the lake holding forth Excalibur, right? yeah, you know? not quite that, um, yeah,
1: not, not not quite that opaque, but uh, not not all that. Do they, far do off they take
0: turns as a sort of executive leader for the week?
1: That's closer. But... That's closer. That's a lot closer. Yeah, <laughs> actually, that is close. <laughs> executive leader for the year yeah. Yeah. of the year, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, and in the second episode, which is the first time that we had Alex on to join us, we talked about mm-hmm. the Grockeye brothers and all the shenanigans they got up to, and how they sort of exposed some of the cracks in the system. And today we're going to be talking about how those cracks got a whole lot worse and shattered the Roman Republic.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, so, yeah, it's sort of abusing, as we mentioned, a lot of ad hoc positions that were created over time in the Roman Constitution. Because remember, no written constitution, it's a constitution of basically tradition and precedent. Right. Um, but because there's a lot of ad hoc positions where the powers are not strictly defined, people act sort of at the peripheries of that power, and that exposes weaknesses in the Roman superstructure. And specifically, that happens with the position of...
1: Tribune. The tribune, yeah.
0: right? Tribune of the people mm-hmm. who were supposed to have veto power. They abuse that veto power. That exposes problems. Everybody gets murdered. Problems dealt with for now. <laughs> right. Yeah. But you join us next week, and we'll see what happens. And now we're at next week, so what happens?
1: <laughs> well, there are, you know... We're going to be focusing on two periods of civil war. First, Mm -hmm. which falls in the 80s BC between Gaius Marius and Sulla, who has first names, but no one ever uses them. Correct. (laughs) And then the second between Julius Caesar and Pompey the Great. Pompey, who also has other names, but again, nobody uses them. He's Pompey Mm -hmm. the Great. For the record, for people who are interested in doing some reading on this, I'm relying for a lot of this material on a book called SPQR by Mary Beard. Hmm. That's a pretty good book. You know, I don't think everything not don't think everything. You, you put
0: Beard good. in a bunch of our notes. I thought it might be Charles Beard. I'm glad that it's not. <laughs> no. You know, he's the, the famous Marxist historian.
1: <laughs> no. Uh, this is Mary Beard. I can't recommend everything about the book, but it's pretty good and it takes you, you know, through a lot of Roman history in about 500 pages. So it's, you know, it's pretty quick paced. So anyway, if you're interested, if you you know you like to read history, you could do worse than that. Again, SPQR is the name of the book. Stands for <laughs> the Senate and People of Rome, but in Latin. And I'm not going to try to uh, to give you that exact <laughs> phrase in Latin. But uh, anyway, <clears throat> one of the things that I, I think really sort of begins to spell the end of the Roman Republic is the way they dealt with or really failed to deal with changes to to their military system. We -hmm. talked about in the last episode we did on Rome how they had property requirements for military service. You know, you had so -hmm. much land, you were this kind of soldier, you have more land, you're this kind of soldier, and so on. The problem was there are fewer and fewer people with enough property to qualify for military service. Mm -hmm. Rome is ever more interested in fighting foreign wars. And wait,
0: so you had to own land to be in the army. Is that what you're no, saying?
2: You had to be sufficiently wealthy, um, which at the time, and almost until basically industrial revolution. That's the only way you would have had
0: those assets.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah, I don't think well, it was maybe direct. Maybe a few
0: people in Rome proper, but not very
2: Right.
1: Yeah. yeah. So yeah, but for all intents and purposes, yes, you needed to own. Land. Even to be like a common foot soldier. That's yeah,
2: it. because you had to initially. Uh, the initial rule was you had to pay for your own arms, exactly. so there has a minimum wealth requirement I in see. order to be able to afford them. Right. So. and okay. This
1: as this is becoming increasingly difficult. This is
0: Republican Rome, right? Yes. I mean, this is part of one of the reasons why. Imperial realm is the power that it
2: is. They don't have this requirement anymore. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's early and mid Republican realm, right? Yeah.
1: Well, yeah. and that—that's where they talk about the Marian reforms of the military. That's Gaius mm-hmm. Marius, who I mentioned a minute ago. He changed this. Not different
0: from the made Marian from Robin Hood. Yes, for those quite of you who quite different. Um,
1: he's not a fox. Different, but
0: <laughs> well, <laughs> that's debatable.
1: <laughs> well, okay. Um, <laughs> anyway, yeah. So he changed the system, in in a way that. I think had short-term benefits to the military and long-term huge problems for the republic, switched Mm -hmm. it. Yeah,
0: that things that benefit militaries tend to have detrimental effects on republican government. We talked about that before in our Declaration of Independence, the Founding Fathers' fear of standing armies, because what's an army? Well, it's a very powerful body of men Mm -hmm. who can potentially start telling other people what to do, right? So if you've got a representative government, doesn't necessarily have same force that an army would that presents a real danger so yeah go on david
1: yeah so marius changed it though from basically from requiring the legionaries to supply their own equipment to putting that responsibility on the general the general needs to find the funds mm-hmm. needs to find a way to equip his men and basically provide for the logistics so kind of the way
0: the british did it with their navy up through even the napoleon wars yeah, a bit yeah
1: Difference is, you can have... I'm
0: sure that example was very helpful to (laughs) most
1: people. But it it is, uh, you know, it raises a good point, though, and this actually pertains to our constitution as well. Navies work fundamentally differently than armies do. You can have a very effective navy with relatively little manpower. What you need is hardware. And you build that Mm -hmm. and it stays around for a while. So we have a standing navy under our constitutional order in America in a way that we don't have a standing army.
0: But... Yeah, mo- most wars in history, the people or the side with the most people wins.
1: Yeah, that, that um, was, you know, the, that's <laughs> especially true for Rome, where, you know, maybe their number right. one strength was when they had an entire army annihilated, they just raised another one and the enemy couldn't believe they were doing that. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> you
0: know, I mean, even even into the Napoleonic era, I yeah. mean, that decided battles more often than not.
1: Very, very mm. true. And, you know, the Marian reforms, among other things, because they also changed the way the army was organized in a way that made it more effective and so on. But the, probably the main thing was suddenly you can actually make use of all the manpower that you have. Right. But.
2: Who pays for the sword? The government. Oh.
1: <laughs> and. Right. Yeah. <laughs> more particularly.
0: The, Which means me. I pay for it. Right. Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> and more particularly, the one actually paying it out, the one actually, you know, mm-hmm. directly administering all of it is the general himself. And that's right. that becomes a real problem. And that's another thing that the US Constitution sort of exists to fix, uh, you know, insofar as it deals with the military.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. Because who funds the military and constitutional government? House Representatives. Right. Right. That's right. The same people that fund everything else. Yeah. Right. And you've
1: separated under the US system funding from command. So right. the president
0: And they also they also can't fund it indefinitely. Right. They can only fund it for limited periods of time and it has to be renewed. Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah. But so anyway, you, you can see that the U.S. system has sort of tried to go out of its way to address a lot of the problems that arise from this period. But
0: mm-hmm. and, we've, and we've never had a military coup. We've never even had an attempted military coup. And I think that's a real credit to our system. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that sounds like, oh, it's, you know, military coups, that's for Banana Republic, so on and so forth. Well, there's a reason for that. It's not just a cultural difference in America. Mm-hmm. It really is because of those legal protections. Military coups really are a pretty great risk in most yeah. systems. Virtually no. every
1: country in the world has had numerous military coups in their history in some form or other. Yep. It's actually yeah, pretty unique that America hasn't. Anyway, that's the the thing that I think sort of represents the underlying problem with this whole era, this late republic era is military leaders have effectively become the biggest political players in town. And they're effectively outside legal control, and you know we'll get into specifics on that.
2: Well, I think that the, the emphasis there should be the outside the legal control, right? Because like we do that too in America. Like, what is it? Eisenhower. Uh, all but one, all but one and, or yeah. two presidents have been had military service beforehand because it makes you more uh, people like you more, making them want to vote for you. Sort of thing. It's a, yeah, a lot of them have thing. been generals too. You know, we got Eisenhower, right. sure, Grant, but Washington. In right. our case, so it's the emphasis in
1: not while well. they are actively leading armies. <laughs> I
0: can think of a lot more than two oh. presidents that haven't had military experience though. Really? Oh, yeah. I mean, just, you just go through the first four presidents. I think three of them did.
2: Oh, fair. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It, it was a. Yeah. There reached a.
0: I, I mean, I haven't gone through the rest of them mentally yet, but just now, <laughs> you know, it's a lot yeah. of them that have. I think it was fair.
1: something like. Everyone in the twentieth century until Clinton had,
0: yeah, twentieth century that, that yeah, sort did thinking, sort of change, yeah. yeah.
1: But in th- that's the Wait, did did FDR have military experience?
0: Yes, he did. He I did think actually. He did,
1: yeah,
0: but in the navy, right? Navy, right? Yep. Yeah.
1: But uh, the big difference there, though, is that you can't be at the head of an army while you're the president. Well, you could, I guess, in theory. <laughs> Generally speaking, <laughs> you couldn't be a general and a politician at the same time in the American. Them, right, which is not true right. of Rome at all. Mm-mm. So, all right, what do we want to say about Marius, I guess?
2: Oh, a whole lot. Okay, so <laughs> Marius kind of, uh, so we talked about uh, Gracchus last time about how he tried to fix a problem and in so doing, he had a lot of bad solutions that had even worse responses and it kind of helped pray or show the problems with the system, right? Yeah, right. Almost so, um, well, for- the
0: classic quote: if "The government. Right. If you think the problems we create are banned, just wait till you see our solutions." <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah. Well, for, uh, uh, first of all, it's this is a little bit of more of just a factoid, but Maurice's first term in office was the year after Gaius Gracchus died, so he was living di- throughout all that stuff and probably very clearly taking a bit of bit of notes <laughs> because throughout his career, his main ploys seem to be get really famous on the backs of someone else's work and then (laughs) use the army in order to uh, leverage more influence and fame so the first time he had he became consul it's because he was fighting under another general in um, africa he got permission to leave went straight to rome and then claimed all of the credit for anything the other general did and said that he should be in charge instead so then they voted him consul
0: wow that that doesn't sound at all familiar (laughs) right
1: (laughs) and you know similar thing will sort of contribute to his rivalry with Sulla because Sulla was a junior yeah. officer in Marius's army and felt that Marius was stealing all of his glory as well um, a bit further yeah. down the road
2: yeah actually that's that's interesting cuz yeah he follows uh, the same model uh-huh <laughs> in the same war the um the war was ended by Sulla under Marius and then Marius went went back to Rome the same way he did before and took the credit for that yeah so that's that's what started their rivalry. Even so, yeah. So um, so
0: Sulla originally serves under Marius. Yes, correct. Okay, all right. Yep. So Marius, what does he end up doing? What's what's his influence on the Republic? You know, he, obviously he takes credit for winning a bunch of wars that catapults him into political prominence. And then once he's got political prominence, what does he do?
2: He mostly just stays in political prominence and uses <laughs> other wars to do it again and again. Actually, he's he's famous for um, I think being consul seven times, yep. and I think that's six of them. Six of them were in a row and it was illegal to have more than one in without one year at least one year uh, in between them, but they just um, didn't care because well, who's was uh, going to enforce it because he because well, he kept using political influence. I think David has um,
1: yeah, you know one of the yeah. things that went along with that was he kept telling this story about how, as a child, he found an eagle's nest with seven oh. eggs in it, and eagles oh, normally yeah. only have i think one or two eggs in a clutch, and so it was like, right. this is clearly some and kind on of and these seven hills were seven eggs yeah, and- <laughs> some kind of. <laughs> symbolism that the gods had chosen him to be consul seven times and that was apparently convincing to right. some people
0: that is the strangest thing i've ever heard you know why should you be our leader well i saw an eagle's nest with seven eggs once
1: yeah yeah it's
0: oh it's gosh i'm picking that guy better or uh-huh.
1: worse than uh, <laughs> a strange woman in a pond holding lake, her, 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 yeah 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 <laughs>
2: Yeah. I'm honestly, a little bit
1: worse. I, I tend to uh-huh. agree.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I mean the Romans were a little bit into omens, but yeah, it's it's pushing it a bit,
0: and that that's showing you know, the extent to which the Roman state religion was influencing politics at this mm-hmm. time. I mean, we we talked before about how the state basically was quasi-religious to the Romans. Yeah, uh, that's why this kind of stuff ends up mattering, and you know you yeah. see people nowadays in politics trying to capitalize on religion, doing things that are very similar. You know, it's why even if someone might be very religious, but they shy away from some of the more religious rhetoric because I think that you know blurring those lines isn't always helpful.
1: But. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: and uh, have you guys talked about the Novus Homo or the Circus Anorum a bit? No. Oh, okay. So briefly, because that this is what this matters in why Marius and Sulla kind of butted heads so much is mm-hmm. that Novus uh, Homo just means a new man. So it's poor people that are rising up through the rank, ranks and, beca- and taking uh, jobs that patricians, i.e., uh, nobles. Usually had. Marius is one of those guys. So a lot of old families were mad at him for that. Sounds a, like the Industrial Revolution. A bit, a bit like that. Yeah. A bit like, yeah. We, we, if if you think about it, you can think of plenty of times in history that's happened. Sure. And then circuitus of the meaning the, um, basically the the honor, the circuit of honors of meaning political offices that gave, made people people famous. And really, the the thing that kind of drove a lot of political power or people wanting high office in. Rome was to get famous uh, from from that. It's sort of part of the religion of the Greeks and Romans that fame matters for your immortality as a as a person. So um, so
0: the the novo homo sounds mm-hmm. kind of like the the 20th century concept of the nouveau riche. You know exactly. We, we don't we don't like these people getting uppity, mm-hmm. uh, taking positions they didn't have previously. They're all showboating. They want attention. It sounds like the kind of slurs you've heard.
2: Yeah, it's basically one, one to, to that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But basically one to one to that. And um, more important is the Circus Sonorum because Marius kept. Pushing illegally, by the way, pushing people out of all of the best and coolest spots. No one that, no one that otherwise would get get those spots, which who, as I said with, earlier, when he was stealing their credit, deserved them, was being pushed out. And it really came to a head after the social war, which we don't have to get into, but that's pretty much a very short, very very uh, bad. Civil war that the Romans had that Sulla basically won for them. Uh, we've talked about a little bit in the previous episode. It was a civil, it was a short, brutal civil war, and so of course, because he won then the social war, he he won the next election as consul. Um, Marius apparently didn't like that. He wanted his seventh um, consulship, so he hired a bunch of thugs went, went in, marched into Rome, and forced them to make him consul instead.
0: So what what does he do? He marches right into the Senate. Or... Uh,
2: yeah, historians are a little bit vague on that part uh, uh, on the how, but he essentially just. Yeah, records typically yeah. aren't
0: great during political <laughs> yeah. coups. You know, the guy that's writing stuff down tends to run away right. from his seat, and well, he he pulls
2: basically two different tricks. A, he uses a bunch of influence from people he knows uh, that like him, and B, he hires a bunch of thugs to stop people from voting if they don't like him. So
0: I see. So he actually goes around and influences right. the vote.
2: Yeah. Okay, got it. To reissue the vote, make him consul instead, and Sulla does isn't having this. He's finally fed up. He's set no. up with this, because they, they've been rivals for like decades now, and he marches into Rome with an army. And now that's a new change entirely. Hmm. People haven't marched into Rome, they've just threatened people with with weapons before. Yeah, going into yeah. Rome's a big deal. Yeah,
0: so they storm the capital, uh, and then uh, They didn't happens? have to storm
2: it, they just marched right in, because people
0: weren't expecting that, right? Uh, the media would have called it storming the capital. Sure. I'm certain okay. of that. Fair enough. Yeah,
2: it's what, what <laughs> press would call storming the capital. Uh, <laughs> and then, so Sulla runs away, Lawrence. of course, and and... Uh, I mean, sorry, Marius. Marius runs away, and Sulla esen- essentially just says, "No, go back to what was legal." I'm I'm consul now. So, and it took him about a year to do that. And then he he left Rome, and Marius comes back with an actual army and kills everybody that uh, was were supporting Sulla. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. So there's there's a lot of uh, w- between these two guys. There's a lot of Marius coming in doing something bad, and Sulla coming in and doing and systematizing what Marius did. To a much worse uh, way.
0: Yeah, I'm going to take everything you did to its logical conclusion. Yeah. Right, that's what Sulla yeah.
2: does, like, a lot. Go on.
0: Wow, so, like, generally, if you lose your coup d'etat, you're done, you know? Right. You don't usually come back a year later yeah. and slaughter well, everybody. And the, right. the reason
1: that was possible, and this is, you know, really the reason why Sulla cared so much about who was in charge at that given moment, is that Sulla wanted to go fight a mm-hmm. war in the eastern Mediterranean against one of Rome's greatest enemies of the time, Mithridates. Uh, which, you know, that took a while to resolve, and he comes back and finds oh, all of my friends have been killed <laughs> basically.
2: <laughs> yes. Wow. And by the way, I, I want to point out something <laughs> interesting about that actually, is that the, when, like like David said, it took like 3, 4, maybe even 5 years for uh, Sola to do that in the East and that, that whole time Marius was busy, he, uh, he obviously killed the people and said, okay, we're going to send armies after Sola. The armies marched over to Sola. All the soldiers said, you're the legal one, not Marius, and then they killed their officers and join Sola because wow. when it comes down to it, the people actually do want law. Yeah. They do want what's legal.
0: Yeah. That's we know when we don't follow the established forms, protocols, and procedures. I mean, that that's part of the Roman imperial cult was
1: mm-hmm.
0: showing the importance of Roman traditions and institutions. Exactly. Because that kind of thing I think is naturally appealing to people. That's what may, That's what gives government power legitimacy is the fact exactly. that it's grounded in some kind of law. When that goes awry, I think you're absolutely right. People don't like it. Yeah. And you know we, we've seen, we don't need to get too much into that today, but we've yeah. seen our share of current events where groups of people have not liked it, that established forms and protocols, you know, legal protocols for a transition of power have not been followed. Right. The consequences have not been great.
2: Right. That's exactly the point I was making. Right. Yeah. So Sola finally comes back kicks Marius out and I think he kills him. I think Marius dies at this point.
1: Marius, uh, Marius actually died shortly after Sulla left for the East. I I know this because I was oh, right. reading about this. He was an old man by this point already. He dies yeah. shortly after. His son and some of his, you know, associates have been right. running things in the meantime. And yeah. yeah. But anyway.
2: Yeah. And like I said, Marius does one thing bad. Sulla finds a way to systematize it and bring it to a logical conclusion. When he gets back, first thing he does is does is what's called a prescription. So he makes a list I think 9,000 names, anyone whose name is on that list, if you turn them into the government for execution, you get to keep their money.
0: Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. That's sort of the worst kind of a bill of attainder. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. And <laughs> uh, yeah. Fun fact. Well, and I bet they have a lot of money. These probably aren't poor uh-huh. people that are on this list. Yes, yeah. And,
1: and so, you know, on that front, turns out it's pretty easy to bribe someone to add names to that list if you happen Correct. to think they've got some property yeah. you want. But yeah. also fun uh-huh. fact. A teenage Julius Caesar was on that list until yeah, someone got persuaded Sola to take him off it, which he did very reluctantly. Boy, that um, was
0: a, that was a mistake. I bet that guy wouldn't live down. Who persuaded him to take him off?
1: I don't remember or I don't actually I don't even remember if we know, but Alex, you might have uh, if, a better If Mariah. we know,
2: I think I think it was a, a cousin that um Sola didn't want to kill, uh, a cousin of Julius Caesar. Uh, oh, that okay. Sola didn't want to kill, so then uh, Sola said, "Okay, fine, I won't do it." Yeah. But yeah. uh, anyways, the last thing that matters for Sola, uh, actually two points, uh, finally. Is so, that- so, so just to be clear, Sola yeah. takes power,
0: you know, mm-hmm. takes it, basically, mm-hmm. because it's been challenged, disputed in a way that's not legitimate. So when he gets back to Rome, he does a crackdown where he usurps power he doesn't necessarily have, even yes. though he's been validly elected. Yeah. Uh, and then, so, you know, legitimately in office, but not legitimately exercising this power to kill all of his political opponents, basically. I'm gonna prevent this kind of a coup from happening again. Yeah, sort of. Yeah, that, that a lot of this sounds familiar, guys. Mm-hmm.
1: He <laughs> does have the Senate make him dictator, and this was well, something that's, interesting. That's I hadn't, that's, um, that's what I'm getting to. Yeah,
0: yeah. This, yeah. that's, that's no, going to no, be
2: David. You spoiled the climax. Uh huh.
0: Spoiled the climax. <laughs> yeah,
2: he spoiled the climax. Which, by yeah. the way, people, we're going like very fast through this. So right, is one right, of my right. favorite people in in all of history. Think think like how cool. He's a bad guy, obviously, but think like, <laughs> you know, Darth Vader. You, Darth Vader's still cool, even though he's a bad guy. He still is a lot like that. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, anyways, when he when paves marches the way for the entire empire, everything
0: like that. It's actually exactly. for a while, Alex and I, we talked about making a show pitching at the Netflix because they'll let anybody pitch a show. <laughs> <making> some attorneys <laughs> <laughs> and, and their legal assistants pitching a show about the fall of the Roman Republic that's from through the eyes of Cicero and it begins during the dictatorship of Sulla. But, yeah, oh, that go was on. so cool.
2: Yeah. Anyways, um, he, when he marches <laughs> back to Rome, Convinces them at sword point in a, a very cool scene that involves murdering a bunch of people at the same time. Won't get into that. Um, <laughs> murdering a bunch of uh, prisoners of war. He, he convinces them to make him dictator, but he doesn't make them make him dictator the normal Roman office. I assume you guys have talked about that before. We, no, he, he, makes he mentioned
0: that dictator was an official office. It's a six-month. It's government. a
2: six-month yeah. office that where you can do whatever you want, and after the six months, you are not civilly liable for anything you did in it. Yeah. he doesn't make he doesn't it's do it the normal immunity. office. Right, mm-hmm. he doesn't do the normal office. He says make me dictator for life. That's the other thing he he does that's important. Yeah. Mm. Well, and
1: This is another (laughs) thing I got from that book I was talking about. Normally, also, at least according to this book, when they made dictators previously, they usually sort of gave them a specific commission. It's, you know, to do this, you know, you have dictatorial powers to do X, Y, or Z. Mm -hmm. In his case, it just said to, like, reform the laws of the republic. It Um, it was
0: basically, so dictatorship was basically an authorizing order from the Senate. Mm -hmm that would allow you to accomplish a certain task, exercising the authority of the Senate and the people of Rome. So rather than just acting as consul, you'd be acting on behalf of the entire Senate and people of Rome. So you had powers that were in excess of those usually exercised by the consul within the power delegated to you by the Senate. So it had to have some kind of intelligible principle, kind of like delegation of congressional authority to the executive now. Yeah.
1: That's a good analogy, yeah.
0: Reform the laws of Rome is not an intelligible principle. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> an intelligible principle. Is like create a system of national parks, or right. <laughs> like you know regulate clean air quality to make sure that people have breathable air, like that yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. Not
1: uh, in in the, the case the of, the, of the most famous <laughs> Roman dictator who was Cincinnatus, it would you know win the war for us. <laughs> um, right. You know, take, right. take the that was usually hard. where
0: it was used because yeah. because. We, as we mentioned before, the civilian and the military power overlap in Rome. So consuls oftentimes directing the activities of the military, and you don't want his hands to be tied in doing that.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So dictatorship kind of exists as a way to facilitate more military flexibility.
2: Right. So anyway, um, Solo becomes a dictator of Rome. Sorry, for life. He becomes dictator for life uses it to pass a bunch of legislation that he thinks will can make it so someone like Marius can never happen again. Because again, mm-hmm. Solo likes law, but if someone else is going to be breaking the law to get advantage, he's going to do it too. That's sure. sort of his position. He'll sink his... to the
0: level of whatever his lowest competitor is. Right,
2: right, in order to win.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly.
2: As soon as he gets all those laws passed, he retires after two years instead of taking the whole lifetime. And because of what the dictatorship is, no one can can prosecute him. Yeah. Because
0: they all respect the rule of law, and right. even though yeah. he was grossly exceeded the office, it was something mm-hmm. that the Senate had voted for him to be able to do. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. what are yeah. they going to do about it? Right you know? uh,
2: now, now you can imagine how much people like someone who marched in with an army and said, "You're going to use these laws, or else." As after Sulla died, within around ten years, all of his laws are gone. Even th- so, whether or not those would have fixed Rome, we don't know because the people said, "I'm not keeping laws that were forced at me at gunpoint."
0: Yeah. Well, and yeah. and that's and I think that's the broader point here: is yes. laws that are passed in that manner. Can't be good laws. It doesn't right. really matter what their content or their substance is, right? Because that which is arrived at by just means is just. Mm. You cannot have justice if it's not brought about by just means. People will never accept it. And I think that rightly so. Right. Yeah.
1: And, you know, if he proved anything, he proved that a man with military talent and loyal soldiers could basically do what he wanted. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. That would be uh, uh, a principle that would.
0: And there, and there are people, bad. young people, who are taking there, who sitting there, who are taking notes on all of this. <laughs>
1: yeah. Uh, yeah, including Pompey, who served as a junior officer in the Civil War after Sulla arrived back in Italy mm-hmm. and sort of made his name that way. And you know, we're going to be alighting a lot of history here, um, mm-hmm. but but the the main point is the pattern has been set at this point.
2: Right.
0: At some point, it'd be worth doing a podcast just telling the story, because we're, we're trying to get out sort of the legal conclusions right, to draw yeah. from the fall of Rome, which sometimes the story falls
2: by the wayside as we're doing that. But mm-hmm. if Netflix <laughs> won't give us our show, we ought to do that at some point. <laughs> yeah. Well, a yeah. lot of people, uh, they, they know a lot more about they know about Caesar and Pompey. They've never really heard about Sulla. But and that's kind of is- the
0: important part, because you don't Sulla. get a Caesar
2: without a Sulla. Right. There's just no way that's imaginable. Yeah, the stuff that Caesar and Pompey did were already established by either Gracchus, Marius, or Sulla. They were just better at it, frankly. They just Uh did it. (laughs) Well, they'd seen it done once. They'd seen it done once. They found a better way to do it. So they did it more fantastically. But they didn't actually have any changes to their system of of gaining power. Well, that's the thing, is stability is
0: something that is very much dependent upon public perception. Mm-hmm. So once people have seen exactly how far the system can bend under certain pressure, it's very easy to push the system to that point again, and then yeah. to push it past that point. Right. That's why you can't, you really can't allow an inch on this stuff. You've got to make sure that you maintain the rule of law in every circumstance, or you're going to lose the fabric of your society. Right. Yeah.
1: So, you know, to to make a, what could be, and probably should be in, you know, in mm-hmm. a different world, a much longer story, quick and, and digestible Pompey, similarly to Sulla, sort of has this brilliant military career fighting in the East. Military
0: careers sort of help your popularity.
1: Yes. And at this point, that that principle I was talking about earlier where, you know, any general with the loyalty of his men is basically running the show politically. Right. You know, that becomes all the more clear in Pompey's case because he conquers all this territory in the East and he basically just makes whatever treaties he wants with, you know, he sets up a new king of... Israel, he, you mm-hmm. know, all this stuff. And then he goes home and just tells the Senate, you should ratify all the stuff I did. And they do. Right. And yeah, because af-
0: they like new territory. Yeah. Right. You and, know, you it's, know, it's also- even, even Thomas Jefferson, you know, one of the original small government guys, uh, strict constructionists with our Constitution. <laughs> even he can't <laughs> uh, yeah. resist it, the urge to expand territory. And so I think he made by- the right decision on that. Yeah, At least <laughs> um,
2: Jefferson admitted it, though.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I think he made the right decision on that. And, you know, Jefferson, to his credit, said... I may have acted in a manner that exceeds my power. Impeach me if I did. Yeah. yeah. That's what, don't That's do what I mean it. by yeah. That's
2: what I mean by At least he admits it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. Well, I, I,
0: actually, I don't think he, you know, because that's, Congress is supposed to ratify treaties. I think he has every right to purchase something out of Congress ratify it, but it's certainly at the peripheries of his sure. authority. Yeah. Fair enough.
1: In, in Pompey's case also, turns out a great general with the loyalty of most of the veteran soldiers in your country, hard oh. man to say no to. Uh, yes. <laughs> and, uh, so, you know, he, he makes an offer you can't refuse. Yeah. He basically mm-hmm. becomes the man in Rome. Julius Caesar, who's a bit younger, you know, sort of reaches a compromise with Pompey and, and another guy named Crassus, who is famously, extremely rich.
0: Famously crass? No, rich. <laughs> no. Um,
1: anyway, Crassus, in search of military glory, because that's increasingly important, gets his head chopped off, um, <laughs> in know, yeah. his head in a battle. In uh, over his head.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I that didn't even good, mean it. to make that was That was real, one. real good. Guys, I, I will say actually that that's a good point. If there's one thing that Pompey and Caesar actually did add to the whole list of how to gain power, it's conspiracy because they joined they joined as allies together <laughs> and with Crassus in order to give all three of them political power and armies, which is why they were able to march off. Caesar did one thing in Gaul, Pompey did something else in the East. Then you know, Crassus. No, but chop d- there off. were
0: conspiracies going on before that too. Yeah. You know, like there's the whole Catiline conspiracy and sure, that's that, true. That's
1: you know it's that's probably a, a story different. for another time as well. <laughs> but mm-hmm.
0: uh, yeah, it's so they they tactics that had been used yeah. by various R- sure. figures yeah. in the past.
1: So anyway, with Crassus out of the way, though, it's basically Caesar and Pompey duking it out for who's really running the show. Mm-hmm. Caesar, you know, in a, another theme that we've sort of touched on, his term in office is running out as governor. He needs to get a new office or, you know, the Senate's going to want to cut him down to size. He's getting too powerful. And it turns out a great way to do that is to, pers- uh, excuse me, prosecute him for all the bribery he used to do, among yeah. other illegal things. And this so, is during a
0: big anti-corruption push, too. You know, cor- anti-corruption has yeah. been popular in about the decade leading up to this. So we're going to use the popular charge against him.
1: Yeah. yeah. When, when they won't give him another office, though, he copies the Sulla playbook exactly and shows yeah. up in Italy with an army.
2: Well, that's the interesting part. Is that he doesn't quite. It's not that they won't give him another office. It's that it's that they say, think. Oh, we're being sneaky. They pass a law that says you are not allowed to run for office unless you are physically in Rome and give up your army. Which, right. yeah, like Alex said before, everyone else was just standing in their head of their army saying, make me, make me president. Um, yep. They say if if you want to be consul, you have to get get rid of your army. He knows if he does that, they're just going to arrest him and execute him. So he says, no, I'm not going to bother doing that. I don't I'm just think going to
0: so. I'm going to cross the Rubicon. But he's not the first guy to cross the Rubicon. Just the first guy since they created this law?
2: Right.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. And the law's been around is... for
0: what? Like,
2: like maybe 40, 50 years at this point? Like four. Like four years. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I said they specifically passed it in order to uh, hurt him. Mm-hmm. So.
1: Yeah. Yeah. This is, a, this is a quote from that same book. Again, it's called SPQR by Mary Beard. Mm-hmm. I thought this put it very well. Uh, she says, When Sulla turned his army on the city... All but one of his senior officers had refused to follow him. When Caesar did the same, all but one stayed with him.
0: Yep. And that yeah, just, because it's been done before now.
2: That's yeah. a perfect way to, to yeah. sum it up, actually. That, yeah. that really
0: is. It's, yeah. Once it's been done before, it's gone. I mean, Blackstone puts this very, very well in his commentaries. You, you can, t- even in legal interpretation, you can point to traditional interpretation of something, you can point to established practice. But it only takes once for that practice
2: not to have been followed for that whole argument to break down. Yeah, Yeah, I'm I'm sure you guys talk about it a lot precedent, but there's it's literally it's not it's pretty hard to overestimate just how important precedent is in all of these things. Whether legal
0: precedent or or otherwise, I I think people I don't want to confuse anybody because. People oh, oftentimes just assume the fact that a case has gone a particular way in the past means it's going to bind the future. Sure. Uh, there's two different senses of precedent we're talking yeah. about. But yeah, whether it's legal precedent or otherwise, very influential. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah.
0: And, and in, you know, we're talking, this is grounded in human psychology, I think, the importance of precedent. But yeah. I think there's good reason why precedent's very influential. You know, the, one of the very most important things for the law to do is to establish patterns and norms uh, for regularity in human interaction. We want things to work the same way tomorrow that they work today. Yeah. yeah, you need precedent to do that.
1: Yeah, yeah. And Julius Caesar, you know, obviously mm-hmm. we all know he's assassinated, and
0: yeah, he, again he he's made dictator. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then again for life, a whole lot more. Um, <laughs> again for life. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the famous scene in um in the Shakespeare play where he refuses mm-hmm. the laurel three times, and then he takes it.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Having been done once was bad enough. Having been done twice, this is basically a permanently entrenched pattern of political violence in Rome. Right. And it's all downhill until Caesar's nephew and legal heir becomes the first official Roman emperor. uh, Which at this point, you know,
0: you can blame Augustus for the transition into empire, but I hope we've laid out the case here. He really had no other choice. Mm -hmm. The system had disintegrated.
1: This is just how it works from that point on.
0: It's very hard to put the brakes on this stuff once it starts going. It's got a lot of inertia. Mm -hmm. You can slow it down, you know, and it's I I really think part of why we play this out is there's a lot of doom and gloom when people talk about our republic, the American republic, talking about how, you know, we're past the point of no return. We've got this all this stuff's going on that there's no way we can maintain or preserve our republic. I don't think that's true. You know, we've had an orderly transfer of power for every single new president that we've had. We've never had anything like this go down. There's never been a single military coup. Uh, our one civil war, which was, you know, that was bloody atrocity. I think there were tons of war crimes that went on in that civil war. But we were able to restore the Union peaceably afterward. You know, we we, we restored the southern states as states with full representation in they had problems in their elections after that with North trying to influence them and so on and so forth. And I think we're still feeling a lot of that to this day. I don't want to say that our system hasn't been dealt blows, but it's nothing like what we've seen at the end of the Roman Republic.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: The point that I want to make is if we don't put the brakes on what we see as runaway government now,
1: mm-hmm.
0: it's going to be very hard to put them on later.
1: Yep. Yeah. All right,
0: Alex, anything else you want to say? before I know you got to go pretty soon. so. Uh,
1: no,
2: I think that's it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah,
1: yeah absolutely. Come
0: back anytime. All right, David, what else we got for today?
1: Well, we've used uh, most of the time we had budgeted for this episode already, <laughs> so I think it may be time just to go into everybody's favorite segment.
0: All right, gather around, folks, young and old, shy and bold, rich and poor, anybody interested in craziness of laws throughout the world and in America in particular, join us once more for another segment of Captain Kangaroo Court.
1: All right, well... We do have a little more time for this segment than we normally would. So let's see how many topics we can cover here. Um I've got a few ready for us.
0: Remember, stick around after this segment because we do have some announcements about season two of this podcast. You're going to want to hear those.
1: That's right. And our always wildly popular disclaimers. Um
0: Ah, yes. The, the best part of all.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> so... A Texas appeals court has rejected a lawyer's argument that his colleague can't be sanctioned for aggressive and even unkind comments if there was no interference with justice. And quote, "We're just mean people."
0: <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> his, his argument was that we're just mean people.
1: Basically, yes. And uh, you know, th- I think the uh, the the specifics uh, actually get uh, a little too convoluted. I love that phrase. I saw though. something
0: about watching porn on a state computer. There, yeah. I so that, that
1: that that's what uh, that's what it comes out. You know, uh, that, I think that was the specific comment he made that really put it over the top. But basically, he was upset with this one particular judge for what he perceived to be, you know, bad judging. Basically, and he went on a you know a, a kind of a a campaign of uh, insults toward the employees of that particular court. Including accusing one of them of uh, infecting a bunch of computers with malware for uh, viewing some inappropriate content on a work computer.
0: All um, right, <laughs>
1: but um, <laughs> yeah, okay uh, then. He, he didn't represent himself in uh, you know after he was uh, <laughs> he was sanctioned for this, but his partner <laughs> basically you know made the argument we weren't actually you know we didn't disrupt any real processes, nothing actually went wrong because of this. And you can't be mad at us just because we are mean people. That
0: was, It probably depends what the state's ethics rules say.
1: I think it, it, that's probably <laughs> a good bet. Um, you
0: know, the, lots of states have rules of decorum that lawyers are supposed to yeah. follow, whether it, or not it, it interferes with justice.
1: It reminds me, there is, this is almost an exact parallel with a joke uh, by the comedian John Mullaney, who, you know, says he used to have a drinking problem, so he quit drinking, but he regretted that that deprived him of the best excuse that he had. Because He could no longer say, I'm sorry, I drank too much last night. He could only say, I'm sorry, I'm mean and loud. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Anyway, <laughs> so next for Captain Kangaroo Court, got another headline Judge observes that suspect in anti Semitic attack, quote, has removed his pants to show the court his backside.
0: Uh huh. You may. Is that, so he said, for the record, please let the record reflect that the. the- <laughs> That the witness has removed his pants to show his backside, I suppose? S-
1: something like that. Uh, well, it she, because uh, it, it's Judge Regina Thomas, evidently. And you may be wondering exactly why anyone would feel compelled to say this out loud. Turns out it's because it was a, a, a remote hearing happening by Zoom. Uh, um, well, I, either way,
0: you'd want it on the record, so.
1: Yes. <laughs>
0: That's important testimony.
1: Yeah. So... Uh, <laughs> Evidently, this guy, while, you know, presumably standing in front of a computer, flip, quote, flipped the bird, turned around, and mooned the camera, according to the Detroit Free Press. <laughs> um, right, the judge, so the judge said he has now removed his pants to show the court his backside. I'm putting him in a waiting room. And then remarked, mm. I don't know why anyone would think it's appropriate for them to pull their pants down and show the court they're behind. Uh, he which,
0: probably didn't think that it was appropriate. He probably thought that it was an insult. Yeah. And that was probably the intent there. And you probably could have found him in contempt for that. That seems like directly contemptuous of the court. You'd, so. you'd
1: think. Uh, <laughs> in a in a very uh, colloquial sense, in addition to the legal sense. Yes. There, <laughs> I believe you could regard that as a display of contempt for I the I believe court. you could, David. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. Uh, moving on. We're going through these rapid fire. Next up. Nicotine addiction costs vaping trial lawyer more than $2,100. Is everything
0: just going to be disciplinary stuff now, David?
1: Well, the next, one, the next one may have a bit more substance for you. Um, <laughs> we'll be able to get into uh, a bit of detail about what does and does not constitute a frivolous lawsuit. But
0: So when the judge told him to stop vaping in the courtroom, he just wouldn't do it or
1: what? Well, here's the interesting thing. They didn't know he was vaping at the time they discovered him vaping on the security tapes and uh, so this what i find really interesting is that they you know this fine he was ordered to pay broken down you know they itemize it for us in this article three hundred dollars for each day that he was vaping in the courtroom which that's six days so eighteen hundred they also fined him ninety three dollars for time it took the court personnel to review the video footage so that's uh, being factored well, that doesn't
0: in. seem fair <laughs> they only caught him because they were reviewing it.
1: Yep. <laughs> he would have preferred they not do that. Yep. <laughs> um, and also, he had to pay attorneys' fees to the opposing lawyer. I assume that's to compensate the opposing attorney's clients for the time that that lawyer was there while the, this guy was vaping. Um, but that added. another Wait, was well, so he took a
0: recess dollars. so he could vape, or what's? Uh, the, I, I believe so. I, what's yes. the rationale for um, attorneys' fees? That doesn't make any sense.
1: I, I, I think that's why. Uh, it doesn't go into a lot of detail, but... Huh, okay. Um, anyway, for a total bill of $2,143. That's a lot of money. hmm Don't vape uh,
0: in court, I guess.
1: Yeah, uh, I think that that's the... Uh, that's probably the lesson to be taken from there. All right, and finally, this one will not be disciplinary. You have my word.
0: Good. <laughs> There's just not much to say about those. It's just kind of sad, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well the hope is that it's funny but
0: uh <laughs> yeah i guess in one way of looking at it <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, a florida woman we've talked about florida man but i think this is the first time florida, florida woman has, woman, yeah. has come that's, up yeah. maybe
0: that's his wife
1: <laughs> i think in the lore yeah that would be that would probably be the case um yeah. has filed a federal lawsuit alleging that the craft company misled consumers by claiming that it's basically it's instant mac and cheese is ready in three and a half minutes and is the suit. Not? The suit specifies... Although I see
0: it right on the box there. It says ready in three and a half minutes, but they certainly does. said that.
1: But. Uh-huh. The, the would-be class action suit, this article says, claims that the three and a half minute represents the time to microwave the product, which is only one of four steps. Uh, oh. They didn't factor in the time it takes to...
0: The pouring in the packet <laughs> and Remove water. the lid.
1: Remove the lid and cheese sauce pouch, add water to the cup and stir, and after microwaving, stir in the cheese sauce. Consumers have also learned that the cheese sauce will, quote, thicken upon standing, all of which adds up in excess of that three and a half minutes. Now,
0: To like maybe four minutes at the outside.
1: (laughs) Depends. I've, you know, I've found back in the days when I used to make instant mac and cheese on occasion, it's been years, probably since my undergrad days now, since I have. I think they tell you to add a little too much water. And so actually that let, you know, stand to thicken takes longer than you might. Well, that's not what she's suing over. (laughs) <laughs> That's true. No, um, <laughs> she's
0: now, not sewing over incorrect instructions. She's suing over the amount of time it takes.
1: Yeah, maybe. All I'm saying is, maybe if they told you to use less water, that you know, thickening process. You know, would be I, I later, hate but, to
0: admit this. I really hate to admit this. Mm-hmm. But she is right. Like that it's was, not ready in three and a half minutes.
1: That was my question. So you know, Kraft probably predictably <laughs> is claiming that this is a frivolous lawsuit.
0: The problem, what, you know? and it's you know, it 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 kind of is because like, what's the difference between three and a half minutes and four minutes, or <laughs> four and a half at the outside? But it says three and a half minutes.
1: Yeah, yeah. So you know, is there enough to go on here? I'm not going to say is there enough to win the case because obviously I think there's you know, enough
0: to it. win the case. I th- I think it's a pretty clear breach of contract.
1: Hmm fascinating so you You know that that's an
0: implied contract when you buy the mac and cheese is it's ready in three and a half minutes but it in fact isn't yeah and i I think the strongest argument there is the let it sit to thicken part of it because you know presumably you could do the rest of that i don't think there's any way conceivably that a human being could do it but you could do it like in the the blink of an eye if you were yeah one of those superheroes that goes a a
1: negligible amount of time Right. Certainly, you know, if you've got quick enough reflexes, sure. The
0: only required time there is the three and a half minutes. But if it says let sit to thicken. Yeah. Even if that's for a matter of seconds, the task can't physically, I'm not even talking physically possible here, but it can't even conceivably be completed in three and a half minutes. Because the let sit to thicken is not something it's doing well in the microwave. So.
1: Yeah, I was I was curious whether they have an asterisk or something next to the ready in three and a half minutes. It does not they look do like not. they do on that packaging. So No, you know? it doesn't even
0: uh, say ready three and a half you know, you could say, like, hot in three and a half minutes. or
1: Yeah, or cooks in three and a half minutes, maybe. Yeah, you know. it doesn't mm-hmm. say that. So uh, you're telling me that you are on Florida Woman's side on this one.
0: I don't want to be. <laughs> I, wouldn't take, I wouldn't take the case. I think it's really stupid. I think it's really stupid.
1: <laughs> but there's, you're telling me there's something there, though.
0: But I don't. Yeah, she seems right.
1: Yeah, that's you know these are the, the things that we do this for. This is you know this is why Captain Kangaroo Court exists to see if we can generate some some new legal questions. <laughs>
0: yeah, you know if if I were the attorney on the opposing side of that, if I were the, the attorney for for Velveeta, or Kraft, I guess owns Krafty as yeah, the parent parent company. Yeah, I, I would say that food preparation is you know, commonly and colloquially like that's the term that's used to refer to cooking something. Uh, any reasonable person reading this would understand that we're referring to the cooking time here. I'm not actually convinced by that, though. Yeah. Because it says ready in three, three and a half minutes.
1: See, this is, this is the hard-hitting reporting on legal news that we do here.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know, if, if a statute said something like that, that would you'd have to interpret it by what it said. I, I think it's fair if the same standards apply to contracts. I, I hope she, so... Uh, I've said before, damages are separate from liability. Kraft may be liable here. I think she gets, like, a penny in damage. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. and damage.
0: Yeah. I mean, as a class action, everybody's ever bought one of those things. I think maybe each of us are entitled to a penny, which probably adds up to some obscene amount of money. But
1: Yeah, you know, very possibly, I, I don't but... think
0: there's any damages here, because the difference between three and a half minutes and four and a half minutes at the outside I guess if you if you have a really high billable hourly rate, say you bill a thousand dollars an hour, what is that? What's a minute of your time worth, David?
1: Thousand uh, divided by sixty. Somewhere around thirty.
0: Thirty bucks. Yeah, I think. Oh, right? that's way too much. <laughs> I could that's be doing way my math too much wrong for here. this lawsuit. So,
1: all right, I, sixteen and two thirds. So I, I roughly doubled it. That's still actually, way too uh... much.
0: Way too much. That's. <laughs> well, know. you know,
1: I think what, what one thing to bear in mind is. If, the added if they're time making in, this at
0: all, they they have valued their time at whatever the price of this mac and cheese is, so.
1: Yeah. Well, <laughs> and, and you know, if the added time is mostly time that it's just sitting there, you can go do other stuff while that happens. You don't actually need to be, you know. Yeah, what
0: if it makes you a minute late for an appointment? <laughs> anyway. Now that everything's on Zoom, that's actually conceivable. You know, it's, you might budget three and a half, why am I making this lady's case for <laughs> I, I don't think it's a good case. I don't think she should have brought it. Yeah, maybe they technically are liable. That's.
1: <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I think I think that's it for Captain Kangaroo Court, though. All right. Okay. So
0: thanks again, folks. Once the once again, everybody's learned about our eccentricities and crazy ideas in our law, even crazy lawsuits about mac and cheese. So join us once again next week, or really probably next year, for Captain Kangaroo Court. All right. So finally, the segment you guys have been waiting for this whole episode. Announcements about next year's season.
1: Yeah. So first off, this is going to be the last episode for this year, what we're going to be calling season one of the podcast.
0: Yeah. You guys don't need legal news through Christmas, Christmas season, yeah. whatever other holidays you celebrate. That's you can go do that stuff with your family. You don't need legal news.
1: Yeah. And we expect to be back sometime around February. There's also going to be some part changes. of that's to
0: accommodate my, my court calendar as well. I've got a lot of trials coming up in January, right back to back. And if you know lawyers, they don't like doing other stuff while they're in trial. So, yeah. so rather <laughs> than find a stand-in, we've decided to just delay the new season. So, yeah. It's more anticipation, right? So exactly. you guys are going to have to wait on the edge of your seats for our first episode. <laughs> Do we know the topic of that first episode yet, David?
1: Uh, I don't think we're ready to reveal that uh,
0: at this time. Ooh, but exciting.
1: Right.
0: <laughs> All right, so you guys are going to have to wait to get that information coming up.
1: Yeah, but it will be... You know, we're, we're going to be focusing more on political philosophy, sort of fundamental things to do with the American system, with other systems, by contrast, less yeah. sort of news oriented, less topically oriented.
0: Yeah. So we've, we've been told our most popular segments, well, I guess our most popular segment overall was the French, what, what did we call that one? The,
1: the Summer of the Revolution. The Summer but, of the Revolution. Yeah. yeah. I, that
0: was very, very popular. So we're going to be doing a lot more content like that. Things where we actually look at, yeah, how does this really work when you get down and look at it? Yeah. Yeah. And and the other thing is we are going to announce subjects ahead of time. So probably a week prior to each podcast, we'll be telling you what the subject is so that you can look forward to and you can know whether it's one that you care about, one that you want to listen to. And because they're going to be more broadly philosophical and less based on news, although we will, don't worry, we'll still be recapping legal news. You'll still know what's happening in the Supreme Court, still know all of that. But the focus is just going to be this more structural philosophical bent. But because of that, I think they're going to be a little bit more timeless. So if you miss an episode or two, don't worry about it. You can Listen to the ones that have things you care about.
1: Also, as we mentioned in passing, we are planning to make more content from the podcast available as video. So you can check that out on our YouTube channel once we reboot for season two.
0: It's going to be great. I'm really excited for it. We want we're, yeah, look, looking forward to season two. If you enjoyed season one of this podcast, I think you'll like season two even more. If you didn't like season one, You'll still like season two. I promise it. There's a satisfaction guarantee. In fact, every penny you paid for this podcast will be returned to you if you don't like season two.
1: I just pray that we never switch to a, a four-pay model in the future.
0: <laughs> yeah, then I can't say stuff like that. Right.
1: <laughs> yeah, but
0: if you, know, if you liked it, recommend it to your friends. Anybody that, you know, you talked to that guy last week. He just didn't know the first thing about the Constitution. Teach him better. tell them about our podcast send them
1: to us yeah
0: (laughs) and tell them about our matching grant that continues to the end of the year
1: yeah thank you all right and with that as we also promised our most popular segment our disclaimers here you go folks please note that nothing in this podcast constitutes legal advice and all of the opinions expressed are the opinions of the individuals expressing them not necessarily the opinions of the lex rex institute
0: the LexRex Institute is a nonprofit constitutional advocacy organization. If you'd like to learn a bit more about our organization's activities or make a donation, please visit our website, www.lexrex.org. L E X R E X.org.
1: As a reminder, this podcast is a legal issues podcast, not a political issues podcast. We try to keep our commentary strictly to legal issues. Today, now that more issues are considered political than ever before, we believe it's especially important to distinguish between the two.
0: Thanks for listening to the Lex Rex Institute podcast.